0: Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back to the Primate Cast. I'm your host Andrew McIntosh, and the release date for today's podcast is Thursday, August the thirty first, two thousand and seventeen. On today's podcast, talking wildlife disease with Dr. Fabian Leinderts.
1: Ah, uh, well, there's a, I think there's a big need. So there are two different things. Um, one is to find out why great apes and other primates die in the wild. Mm-hmm. I do not believe that it's only those few diseases we know about. And I would really like to see that other teams analyze these cases as well. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. You, you can't find an enemy if you don't know who it is.
0: So Dr. Lindertz is head of a research team for the epidemiology of highly pathogenic microorganisms at the Robert Koch Institute in Berlin, Germany. His work probably falls at the borderlands of wildlife epidemiology, conservation medicine, and pathogen evolution. And I was lucky enough to sit down with him at last year's conference for the International Primatological Society, which was held in Chicago. So this was a really fun interview for me, given my own interests, but also because his work, you know, and here specifically I'm thinking of the stuff on Ebola and anthrax, is both fascinating and terrifying at the same time. So his research team has been involved, say, over the last couple of decades in trying to understand what drives population declines, uh, specifically as they relate to infectious diseases in in African great apes, um, but also other primates and other African wildlife, with a regional focus probably most on West Africa and Central Africa. And so, as I mentioned, his team has been investigating Ebola outbreaks, um, anthrax outbreaks, and recently they published a paper in Nature, uh, which looked at... A persistent form of anthrax, it's Bacillus cereus. It's a bit different variant uh, than the one that we're mostly familiar with, that affects, uh, you know, a- African savanna ungulates, and from time to time filters into the human population. That'd be Bacillus anthracis. But his team has been showing that another cryptic pathogenic strain uh, or form, different species actually of anthrax, has been going on and infecting and possibly driving declines in all sorts of African wildlife in the rainforests. And so in the interview, we talk about um, his team moving into West Africa just following the onset of the 2014 outbreak of Ebola. We talk about what's been driving declines of the, the chimpanzee community in the Thai forest, which seems to be uh, one of the unluckiest populations, uh, succumbing to all sorts of things uh, over the decades that, that researchers have been involved in study there. Um, we, we talk about what still needs to be done in the area of, of infectious disease investigation in, in great apes and other primates in, um, in rainforest uh, populations of all kinds of animals that are, that are in decline. And finally, we end with a brief discussion of what you, the, the, some of the researchers can do who might not be specialists in infectious disease ecology, but might nonetheless have opportunities to collect data and, and report important findings regarding infectious disease in the populations. So now that infectious disease has entered our collective awareness as a significant or a potentially significant driver uh, of of future population declines of endangered wildlife, it's the work of people like Dr. Leendertz and others in his group and others around the world who are doing similar things, uh, which is really going to be critical for our ability to protect these uh, endangered species going forward. So without further ado, here's Dr. Leendertz on the Primate cast.
2: So you you, uh, are a veterinarian. By training. Yes. And at what point, was it right from the beginning? At what point did you start getting interested in primates and great apes uh, uh, and their diseases?
1: I actually studied a little bit of biology before, and then um, I was a bit frustrated because all, everything we learned was so molecular. And right. I wanted to get to the animals and do something with animals. Mm-hmm. So I swapped to veterinary science. Okay. Always with the purpose of doing wildlife research.
2: Okay. Uh, and then in, I guess it was 2014 when the last Ebola struck West Africa. Uh, 2014?
1: The recent Ebola? The, the most recent Ebola. outbreak. Yeah, 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 it started end of 2014. And
2: so your team is one of the teams being mobilized and going in.
1: Yeah, we were actually not mobilized. We were just mobilized ourselves. <laughs> uh, we, it was really, the outbreak was still very small. And... I said that's a unique opportunity because we have the logistics uh, in the countries and the contacts and data on uh, wild great apes or chimpanzee densities Mm -hmm. to go and see if there is an outbreak in the great apes in parallel or before it started in the humans, Mm -hmm. what you see in Congo. So within two weeks, we were on the ground.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So what is that? I mean, what is that? What kind of a logistical effort is that or...
1: We, just, we have the Wild Chimpanzee Foundation as very good partners and they are anyway working in Guinea. Mm-hmm. So they had the biomonitoring team who did the monitoring in the years before so mm-hmm. they knew exactly where they have been and how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I just flew in with three of my vet PhD candidates and uh, we flew to Ivory Coast because there we have liquid nitrogen containers, we have um, cars as mm-hmm. well. So we drove from Abidjan up to Guinea, right. and then we met the other team.
2: Right. So what um, what kind of information was your team able to extract from that, that situation, and, and what does it kind of tell you about this whole picture of Ebola emerging in Africa?
1: When we, when we arrived, uh, they didn't know yet where the index case or the first patient um, had lived. Mm-hmm. So we just knew it's in this house somewhere. Um, so we said, okay, we start monitoring uh, the forests uh, in this house where we know that there are chimpanzees in there and we know actually the density so we repeat that monitoring uh, do the same transects to see if there's a sudden decline or we find carcasses mm-hmm. and while doing so we kept contact to the local authorities and then they told us now we know where the first case came from and luckily that's been confirmed now over all the time mm-hmm. <coughs> so we split the team and uh, the vets myself and the vets and the anthropologists we went to that village to catch bats to ask people how it started and so on and the monitoring team continued monitoring the forests
0: great
2: so sorry i got distracted by this person over here
1: um just
2: kind of going back from that so i in my memory uh, it's maybe going back to 2004 or something when you first um, discovered that there was a, a problem with anthrax and this is uh, also in West Africa in the Thai forest yeah. and that chimpanzee population has now been under uh, disease threat and stress for quite some time so how did you um, become involved in that project and what have you kind of seen from the beginning of your involvement to now well um, that
1: is uh, a history of nasty disease outbreaks in, in Thai Forest. Um, there was an Ebola virus outbreak in one of the communities in 1994 uh, which hasn't spread to other communities and so on but this is when uh, WHO started a Ebola program to try to look for the reservoir uh, in Thai Forest and that was not successful but ended in 1999-2000 and so Christoph Besch who I got to know because I was looking for a subject for my PhD said, "Well, those chimpanzees are still dying. Could you uh, find out what that is?" Mm-hmm. And um, so I I started then to look for a lab who would just welcome me and find a stipend and so on, and mm-hmm. I was just tolerated basically. <laughs> so that's just how that started. And. Um, and from then on, we just monitored any disease outbreak and did necropsy on every animal we found that. So we have more than 200 necropsies done mm-hmm. by now. And so we learned a lot from, from that. Mm-hmm.
2: And so what have you kind of seen? I mean, there's anthrax is obviously not the only problem, but
1: over the years working at Thai, I mean. <laughs> so, um, well, we have, it's actually quite simple in Thai. Either you have a respiratory disease outbreak, which were really bad. Until we implemented very strict hygiene measures, including a quarantine and so on, mm-hmm. so we are doing everything which is written in the IUCN guidelines. But well, mm-hmm. since I wrote most of that, it's following that example. <laughs> right. But uh, it's super strict, and uh, we made it really to have much less outbreaks since since we do so. Right. So the other mortalities we see are mainly due to naturally occurring diseases, and. Um, So uh, we had very few individual cases of death. Like uh, we had one chimpanzee female with a heart failure uh, due to respiratory disease she had before, but then the lungs were so hard that the heart would pump against the lungs and this is called corpulmonale, she died from that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had one chimpanzee which died from TB uh, we didn't find it in any others. It's a new strain, which is probably acquired from a diker or some forest antelope. And then the majority of other deaths we find is uh, due to this new anthrax, which we found um, in 2004, or we published in 2004, mm-hmm. the first cases I did the necropsies on in 2001 and 2002. Mm-hmm. So um, this is basically what, what is a problem still in time.
2: And now anthrax is also popping up in other parts uh, of Africa, relevant to great apes as well.
1: Yes, um, yeah, the interesting thing is we are finding it, uh, we found it in Jar Reserve in Cameroon, where there was a, several gorilla and chimpanzees died, and uh, Felix Lanchester, a very good vet, who was the head of Lima Wildlife Center at that time. He went there, collected what was left, which was basically bones and maggots. Mm-hmm. But still, that's enough for a good diagnostics. Um, And later we found it in Zanga Zanga in the C.A.R. And uh, there's another point where we found it uh, together with uh, Health Canada in uh, D.R.C. actually. Oh, wow. So it seems to be widely distributed, uh, mainly in rainforest areas. We don't find it outside the rainforest Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. at the moment, but Mm -hmm. we have to be careful. Mm
2: And so today uh, you were part of a symposium organized by Dominic Travis on the kind of current state of what we know of infectious disease in grade eight populations yeah. and, and how to approach health monitoring and also uh, mitigate the transmission, for example, between researchers or tourists. And so where do you, I mean, now it looks like uh, this area is really coming together with all of the work that you guys are doing, but do you see still areas that need to be uh, addressed very quickly or how do you see the, the kind of current state of the, the, oh, yeah. the field in the future?
1: I- Ah, wow, well, I think there's a big need, so there are two different things. Um, one is to find out why great apes and other primates die in the wild. Mm-hmm. I do not believe that it's only those few diseases we know about, and I would really like to see that other teams analyze these cases as well. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. You, you can't find an enemy if you don't know who it is, right? mm-hmm. so that has to be enforced. And um, the second thing is to for those diseases where we know already that there is a problem, we have some ideas what the pathogens are behind. we need to understand why they're sometimes lethal, sometimes not so lethal, why some populations are more infected than others. Mm-hmm. We have to look at the secondary infections and so on. so I think there is a that's a huge complex thing and let's even just take the example of respiratory disease in humans it's not well known why mm-hmm. sometimes an outbreak happens in a severe way on a non-severe so even there we don't know it's all the medicine and the invasive methods we can use so it's a big challenge but methods are getting much much better so we really have to push that forward yeah and
2: uh, i, I- I just lost what my train of thought here, but... Oh, yeah, so one of the things that also came up in this uh, symposium was maybe from some of the people who are not directly involved in disease research but have an interest in conservation and protecting the subjects they're looking at. So maybe for our listeners, I mean, what what kind of things do you think, um, you know, the, the regular climate field uh, scientists could do to kind of help in this endeavor?
1: All right. So, I mean, the uh, I think... That... What people do anyway when they go and see primates, they go to observe them. Mm-hmm. So just observe and see if there's anything abnormal, and just just not ignore that. Just report it to whoever is interested in disease. So and then you can make a plan if you can get non-invasive sample, feces, urine. Uh, depends on the species. Some species can be anesthetized quite easily without any problems then really investigate that. So I think the primate community should keep the eyes open and not say, oh, that that animal dropped out of my uh, study because it's dead or it it doesn't (laughs) behave the right way anymore. So really talk about these things. Okay,
2: cool. Well, I'm sorry to have interrupted the uh, poster session and drinking session at (laughs) IPS, but thanks for joining
1: us on The Primate Cast. Thanks for your interest.
0: (laughs) You have been listening to The Primate Cast a podcast series dedicated to the study and conservation of primates around the world. Brought to you by the Centre for International Collaboration and Advanced Studies in Primatology of the Primate Research Institute of Kyoto University. Visit us online at www.cicasp.pri.kyoto-u.ac.jp forward news forward podcasts. And follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash The Primate Cast and on Twitter at The Primate Cast.